Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And he could not convince that salesman, and in the end, he didn't get the new screwdriver. He didn't get to replace the screwdriver. And keep in mind, his family is standing right there next to him, you know, and they're watching the whole scene of how dad thought he was wrong and dad was humiliated and dad was really mad. So what do you think dad did? He walks over. Do you know where I'm going? <laughs> he walks over to where the screwdrivers are and he looks around. And then he slips a screwdriver into his coat pocket. All right? And then he headed for the stairs and out the door, feeling justified, right? And there in the parking lot, who do you think there was to meet him? <laughs> the Sears security was there for him. And they reached into that pocket, because they were watching him on the camera. They reached into that pocket, and they asked him, you got a receipt for this? Okay. Now the El Cajon police arrives. They arrest him. They put him in the police car. They drive him down to the alcohol police office. Now, keep in mind, his wife, his little girl, his little boy, they're following in the car behind the police car. All right? And so that was an interesting night. As the family got to watch Dad get fingerprinted and booked for shoplifting, and Dad was a Sunday school teacher. Okay? So in the end, he didn't get the screwdriver. They didn't get They said, okay, now you get to keep the screwdriver. That's not what happened. So what happened? He went down the Tamar Road. See, he felt cheated and wronged by Sears for not honoring their guarantee to replace the craftsman screwdriver, just like Tamar felt cheated by Judah for not getting Sheila. He devised a plan to get even with Sears to get his replacement screwdriver, and he, he felt he had the right to that, just like Tamar carefully thought out to get even with Judah and get Sheila. He carried out his plan to get even and got the replacement screwdriver, just like Tamar went through with her plan to get even with Judah and humiliate him get Sheila. But God loved him too much to let him get away with his wrong. So his plan to get the screwdriver by stealing it from Sears, it backfired. He gets caught. He gets booked for shoplifting. Just like God loved Tamar too much to let her get it wrong with, get away with it. So plan to get Sheila backfires. She gets pregnant by Judah. She has a painful labor and she delivers two of Judah's sons. And in the end, he never got his screwdriver and Tamar never got Sheila. See, all of this has got to show us that instead of getting even, we need to follow what the Lord said when Matthew 5.38, when he said, the Lord said, you've heard that it had been said of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's easy, right? <laughs> and if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. 
Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that borroweth thee of thee, turn not thou away. See, what's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? It's getting even. It's getting even. It's selling the score. It's righting the wrong. And what's resist not evil? It's not doing another wrong to make it right. See, all this we see in Tamar, it's fueled by anger. She's holding a grudge, which is why the Lord told the Jewish people in Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So what Tamar was doing to Judah was to treat him like he treated her. And the Lord said, don't do that. In Proverbs 24, 29, 24, 29, say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his word. In Romans 2, 12, 19, it makes it so clear. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And the Lord Jesus, we see this in his life, he didn't fight back. Isaiah 50, verse 6, Isaiah 50, verse 6, he says, the Lord Jesus says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Now, when the hero of our story, when he came to work the next day and told us what happened, we all wondered, you know, how could you have done this? But when we saw how angry he was over them not agreeing to get screwed it was clear. It was all personal anger that drove this. The same way when we see the incest that Tamar did, we wonder, how could she have done that? And the reason is the same. She was so angry. She was very, very angry. You know, and it live up to the guarantee, Judah. You gave it to me in verse 11. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow. Remain a widow is what he said. At thy father's house. And Tamar went and dwelt in father's house. So what happened to Tamar is that Tamar knew she had been tricked into a condemned life of widowhood, never to be married, and she was angry. So, in verse 25, when she's brought forward to be burned, there's something very interesting detail is there, little tiny, little clause in verse 25, you see it? When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law, saying by the man, these are, am I with child? And I pray they discern who these are, the signet, the brace, so forth. It says she sent to her father-in-law. And the question is, why did she send to her father-in-law? Okay, what's the obvious answer? He wasn't there, right? She had to send these things. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Judah was not there to witness her execution. So she had to send this to Judah. So this is a very, very delicate situation here. It's very, very decisive in what she's doing here to draw Judah in. And her statement was really enough to bring Judah to his senses and to see how awful his sins were. But the question is, what sin did Judah come to see when it says that he acknowledged it? She presented Judah's ring and bracelet and staff. And what is the sin that he came to see when he said, I'm so sinful that she's more righteous than I? You know, she, the one who knowingly was going into incest, adultery, incest, and she's more righteous than I am. So what is he talking about? Okay. In our English translation, we have the word discern. She said discern. But it's very important to understand the Hebrew word behind that word, nakar. Nakar, it means to scrutinize, to look very carefully at these items, 
That word nakar is very important here because it's important to see where it's being used in the context of this chapter and in the context of the previous chapter, the last chapter. And if you turn back to the last chapter, to Genesis 37, you look back at verses 31, 33, you see the prominence of this word nakar. See, in verse 31, Genesis 37, 31, it says, and they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father. See, they sent, okay? She sent, they sent, she sent. And they said, this have we found. Know thou whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat, and evil be said to devour him. Joseph was without doubt rent in pieces. The word nakar appears twice in that narrative. First, in the 32nd verse, Genesis 37, 32. Second, 32nd verse, it says, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and they said, this have we found. No, nakar, that's the word. Nakar now, whether it be thy son's coat or not. So Judah and the rest of the brothers had tricked their father into thinking that Joseph was dead. And they did this trickery by showing Jacob, Joseph's coat of many colors with all the red blood all over it. And they challenged Jacob in verse 32. This have we found, no, nakar, now whether it be thy son's coat or no. They asked their father with the word nakar to scrutinize the coat very carefully. Nakar, examine it to see whose it was. Judah and the brothers knew very well that it was Joseph's coat. But they asked their father, nakar, scrutinize it for yourself, look carefully. Then it says that Jacob knew it in the 33rd verse of chapter 37, chapter 37, verse 33. 33 says, and he knew it and said, it is my son's coat, and evil be said to devour him. Joseph is without rent in pieces. And he knew it. That's again the word nakar, nakar. So they said, nakar this coat. Okay. And he says, I nakar this coat. I know this coat. Now in chapter 38, it's spooky because it's almost like a mirror where Nakar is again used twice in these verses in chapter 38, verse 25, 38, 25. When she was brought forth, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man, she sent again, just like the coat, by the man who these are, am I a child? She said, discern, Nakar, Nakar. I pray to examine him carefully. The ring, she, she knows who they are, but she says, examine him. The signet, the bracelets, the staff. And then it says in verse 26, verse 26, and Judah acknowledged Nakar. Again, Nakar. So Judah acknowledged, he Nakared them. And then he said, you know, she's been more righteous. So in chapter 38, where we are, in verses 25 and 26, it's a mirror image of the previous chapter in 32 and 33. And in both verses, this word Nakar is a challenge and it's an acknowledgement. It's an, a challenge to examine for ownership. And then there is the Nakar acknowledgement of knowing who the owner is. Well, it's the same in 37 and 38. Chapter 37, though, the tables were turned because now it's Judah and the brothers who knew it was Joseph's coat, and they asked Jacob, go ahead and examine it for yourself, Nakar, to see the tragedy, to come to the conclusion of the tragedy. That's in chapter 37. It's Judah. They knew the bloody coat, who it was. In chapter 38, the tables are turned. Now it's Tamar, who knew whose rings and bracelets and staff they were. 
in chapter 37, Judah, along with the brothers, asked his father to Nakar examine the bloody coat, sees whose it was. Now chapter 38, the tables turn, and now it's Tamar who's asking Judah, Nakar examine the ring, the bracelets, the staff, to see who they were. Chapter 37, it's Jacob who Nakar did examine him, acknowledged him. Yeah, the bloody coat. And I understand from the coat the tragedy. Joseph has been torn in pieces by some animals, see? But in chapter 38, as I say, the tables turn, and now it's Judah who Nakar examines the ring, the bracelet, and the staff, and he understands from the ring, the bracelet, the staff, the tragedy, tragedy. I'm the father. I've committed incest with my daughter-in-law. So the word Nakar has just brought all of this over the top for Judah, And Judah, it wasn't Judah. For Judah, you know, it's not just by coincidence that Tamar had her father-in-law on the same trap that Judah had his father. And Judah's beginning to see the truth. He's beginning to dawn on him, which is going to completely dawn on him a few chapters later. But he's beginning to see the truth of Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See? And that's what the Lord said in Luke 8.17. Luke 8.17, the Lord said, Nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. So Judah started to see all this. He started to see, I'm naked. I'm open to the eyes of him with whom I have to do. He's beginning to realize that This God, we know as Jehovah Jesus, is the one described in Revelation 1.13. Revelation 1.13 says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with paps with a golden girdle, his head hairs were white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. Flame of fire, see? So he's beginning to realize this Jehovah. When he looks at me, his eyes are a flame of fire. He sees everything. And as Judah's beginning to see how God has found out his sin, which is what he's going to say later on, he's coming to his senses. He's coming to a place where he is about to make an open confession. Now, I want you to look at verse 23. Chapter 38, verse 23. All right, 23. What was the one thing that Judah feared above everything else. Shame, shame. He said, let her take it lest we be shamed. That was important. Judah has his honor. He has his position. And he's so afraid of being shamed. That's the one thing that Judah feared above everything else was to be openly shamed. I mean, we really have to imagine this scene to get it, see what's going on. Everyone knew that Tamar was pregnant And everyone knew that Judah had ordered that she should be publicly burned. I mean, this execution is too much for Judah, so he's not even there to witness it. But all the town and the relatives have gathered together to watch this public execution of Tamar, who's been condemned by Judah to be burned. The order's been given by Judah for her to be burned. Tamar is brought forth to be burned. And just before she's burned, before they put the flame on the kindle, just before it, great drama happens. She produces. 
Judah's ring, bracelet, and his staff. And we can imagine Hiram's in the crowd and saying, hey, those are the ring and the bracelets and staff I've been looking for. Yeah, Those belong to Judah, in case they didn't know. And everyone knows now they belong to Judah. And Judah's not in the crowd. So all the crowd now knows that Judah has committed incest and he's impregnated Tamar. And so the ring and the bracelets and the staff, they're sent quickly to Judah. And can you imagine Judah who's just, you know, heard the crowd and now there's a banging on the door and it's like, Judah, Tamar says that by the man who these are, that she's with child and she sent these to you. And by the way, why did Tamar produce this and send it to Judah? Because by the law, not only the woman who committed incest, but the man who committed incest was supposed to be put to death. <laughs> so Tamar is saying, hey, boys, the execution's not complete here. You need my partner here at the side to be burned with me. So she says, uh, go get them. Judah discerns who they are, and he realized, oh, I'm the one who's supposed to be killed next to her. And all the crowd stops, and they wait for Judah, who has to now come and explain to the crowd, and do you think that Judah was put to shame? And on that, that's bad. That was an extreme shame for Judah. That was the utmost public shame for him. The very thing that Judah feared the most of being shamed and put to shame, it happened to him. And that public shame was so bad for Judah that Judah had no more future in Canaan. That was it for him. What happened there resulted in Judah in humiliation and shame leaving Canaan. And that's why the next time we see Judah, it's not until chapter 43, he's back home again. Because Judah was put to such an extreme public shame on that day, he couldn't live with the Canaanites anymore. He was finished. And so he had to go home where he belonged. So on this day, before everyone's eyes, Judah is seen as guilty. And on this day, he is publicly exposed of guilty of, of incest, a hypocrite, because he was about to cause the wrongful death of this Canaanite woman. That's a perfect shame for Judah to drive him out. So when it says in verse 26, Judah acknowledged them, nakard them, it's a really power-packed word, acknowledge, because it means far more than, oh, yeah, that's my property. I acknowledge that's my property. It means that Judah acknowledged his sins. And that was a public acknowledgement for Judah. And when a person becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's so important that he make a public acknowledgement. That's why Romans 10 and 9 keeps talking about two parts of man. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The heart and the mouth go hand in hand. In Romans 10.9 is, confess with thy mouth, believe in thine heart. Romans 10.10 is, with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made. So true belief, true belief in the Lord Jesus is with the heart, and that will drive the confession with the mouth. Belief is only true if it's backed up by confession. That's why it says in 1 John 4.15, 1 John 4.15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. 
confession that Jesus is God. It's not just that Jesus is the Messiah, but that Jesus is God. And that's what separates false cults from the truth. Confession that Jesus is God. And Judah's confession was that he sinned, and his sin was worse than her sin when Judah said in verse 26, she hath been more righteous than I. And what made his confession so real when he said that? Because he gave a specific to it. He didn't just say, well, yeah, she's, I'm worse than her. He said, no, I'm worse than her because I gave her not to Sheila, my son. He was specific. What we see here in Judah, which really made this a real, real authentic repentance and salvation. Authentic repentance salvation is evidenced when a person openly confesses that Jesus is God. Authentic repentance and salvation is evidenced when a person openly confesses he's a sinner. Authentic repentance salvation is evidence when a person names his sin. And the last part is so very important in verse 26 when it says, he knew her again no more. Authentic repentance and salvation is evidence when there is a forsaking of those specific sins. And that's why Judah was a fornicator. Okay, but he repented of his sins. And from this point, Judah used to be a fornicator, but he's now described what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, coveted, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Judah needed to, and he did, repent in order to not perish. As the Lord said in Luke 13.3, Luke 13.3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That meant Judah had to forsake that life, which he did. So now Judah can say, I once was a fornicator, but now I'm washed. Now I'm sanctified, now I'm justified in the name of Jehovah and by the Spirit of God. So when Judah acknowledged his sin and confessed he was a sinner, Judah became just like Job. Judah became just like Job. This is a very characteristic. He says, you know, she's more righteous than me. Job says in Job 42.6, Job 42.6, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now keep in mind, this is the person that God boasted about. And the person that God boasted about is saying that he abhors himself and he repents in dust and ashes. And he said in Job 40, verse 4, 40, verse 4, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I'll lay my hand upon my mouth. Abraham, same way. Abraham, same way. In Genesis 18, 27, 18, 27, Abraham said, Behold, now I am but dust in ashes. Jacob, same. Jacob, same. Genesis 32, 10, 32, 10. I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies and of thy truth, which thou showed unto thy servant. Ezra, same. Ezra, same. Ezra, 9, 6, 9, 6. And said, oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the third annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Light and Life Foundation ministries that encompass the Creation and Earth History Museum, Friendship with God Radio Program, and Israel Restoration Ministries. Come experience gourmet and unique local restaurant foods, and we'll have Bible teacher Tom Cantor from the Friendship with God Radio Program speaking, along with musical performances by the De Lamont Strings. We'll have an amazing night of silent and live auction items, including tailored guitars, vacation getaways, and other exciting auction items. So if you'd like to attend this event, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 3rd at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve your seat. 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. creationsd.org. creationsd.org.